0: We're going to continue this morning um, in uh, Genesis. Blake told me you guys had begun studying through the book of Genesis. And so uh, I said, well, that sounds great. I'll, I'll just pick right up. I like the book of Genesis. I like all the Bible, just for clarification. But I, I do like Genesis. And um, I said, OK, so where are you guys at? And he said, oh, well, uh, Genesis 4 is up next. And I thought, OK. So give the guest preacher, like, murder. You know, the first time murder happens in the Bible is Genesis chapter 4. Give that to the guy. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's um, great. So, uh, here we are. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Welcome to Clouds Creek. Um, no, I love, actually I love this passage, uh, because uh, it starts out with a lot, of, uh, a lot of God's grace. starts out with a lot of God's grace, and it ends with God's grace. Um, and we actually see that the path that Cain walks is a very avoidable one. And God is even gracious enough to show us how we do not have to follow in the way of Cain, um, and so that's kind of my hope this morning is that we we see that we see that that's God's grace and it's God's mercy. It's not um, it's not that He's necessarily trying to be harsh in any way, but that He is trying to uh, to correct and to guide us. In that uh, chapter three ends. The first few chapters of, of Genesis we see life in the garden. We see life the way that it was intended to be, the way God had desired it for Him and His people. Uh, and chapter three ends, and there. Out of the garden, and now they're east of Eden. And so, where we pick up this morning, uh, there's kind of a big shift um, that now we're seeing life not not quite as God intended. Um, Some things are a little bit different. God is there. God hasn't left. God hasn't abandoned humanity. God hasn't quit on His people. But He's also a little bit distant. The way that He talks and interacts, it's just not it's not quite the same. Uh, and that's because something has, has stepped in, sin has crept in, and, and complicated this relationship a little bit. Um, so that's what we'll see. So we'll pick up in chapter 4, uh, verse 1, and I'll read a few of these verses for us, and then we'll pause periodically. It says, The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have made a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the Lord's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Or some translations will say that his face fell. So, what that word literally means, is that his face fell, that he hung his head in shame. And so we'll pause there for a second. Um, and there's a couple things in the first five verses that are good for us to see. Like I said, it opens up with grace. It, it opens up with God's grace just being poured out continually on, on people. <clears throat> Adam and Eve, at this point, the, the right and the ability to live is, is just God's grace. After they've given in to the temptation in the garden, the fact that they are alive and continuing is God continuing to show grace on them. And he gives them the gift of two children, of Cain and Abel. Um, and so I, I was reading this again this morning, just going over it uh, before I got here, and, and I thought about Blake and Maddie bringing another life into this world and, and how I'm so thankful for the grace of God in that. Um, and I don't want to miss it here. This is, this is the grace of God. Um, but then these two sons, as they grow, we don't know how much time passes, but as they grow, they each have a different task or a different gift. Cain works the ground. He's, he's a farmer. He cultivates the land. And Abel's a shepherd. He takes care of the, the livestock and the flock and watches over them. Uh, and it says, in the course of time, they come to present an offering to the Lord. And their offerings are a little bit different. And, and as they come and they present them, this is their way of, of worship. And they, they bring them to the Lord. And God looks favorably on Abel and his and, and not on Cain's. And so we have to ask the question, why? Why is it that God looks favorably on one and not on the other. And I've heard a few different things as I've grown up in and around church about this passage. And what I want to do is I want to clarify what's happening here because I think it's important that we're accurate when it comes to God's Word. One of the things that I heard is that growing up was that God valued taking care of the animals and livestock more than He valued cultivating the ground. And in a sense, it's almost as if God valued uh, a shepherd more than he valued a farmer. That's not what's happening here. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God commands Adam to cultivate the ground, to take care of it. Cain's not doing anything wrong by being a farmer. Cain is actually doing the very thing that God has made him to do, to take care of the earth. There's nothing wrong with his offering in that regard. The other thing that I've heard is that uh, there are different types of sacrifices in the Old Testament. And uh, one of the sacrifices is a a blood sacrifice. It's called the sacrifice for atonement, to to help to atone for our sins. And Cain brings the firstborn of the flock and, and the fat portion. So what he's doing is he's actually bringing a blood sacrifice or a blood offering in that. I don't think that's what's going on here either. Because God hasn't instituted that sacrifice yet. And the word here for offering is, is a Hebrew word. It's minha is what it's called. And it literally means a, an offering of tribute. Um, or they're, they're basically saying thanks to God for what he's given him. As the minha plays out in the Old Testament, it's always a grain offering. It's always a grain offering not even a livestock. So there's nothing wrong with the content of Cain's offering of his sacrifice. So what is it about Cain and his presentation that is not pleasing to God? We begin to see a little bit of it in the text and then I'm going to flip to Hebrews to make some more sense of it. But it just says that Cain presented some of the land's produce. But for Abel, he presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And so what we see is that Cain brings just a little bit of whatever's left. It's kind of how it sounds. Whatever he didn't want. Um, These would have been cereal grains. So as I think about it, it's like Cain probably ate the Honey Nut Cheerios and then brought the like, uh, you know, whole wheat, organic, gluten-free oat stuff and was like, you could have this because, you know, to me it tastes like dirt, so I'm not going to eat it, so you have it. That's kind of that's what he's doing. Um, if that's the cereal that you like, it's healthier for you. I'm not trying to poke fun at it. Please eat it. You'll live longer. But, uh, you know, you can take it off the shelf and I'll, I'll eat my Honey Nut Cheerios and Froot Loops. Um, but this is, this is what's happening, is that Cain, Cain doesn't bring his best. He just brings... Something. Abel brings the firstborn of his flock, which is the best, and he brings the fat portion, so he brings the best of the best. And so what that is, is that begins to reveal to us their heart in worship and their heart in this sacrifice. That one of them comes to God and just throws something out and hopes that by giving him something, that God will give him something in return. And yet Abel gives the best of what he has because Abel knows... Abel knows what Psalm 63.3 says, and it's the love of God is better than life. And that nothing he has in this life is better than knowing God and being loved by him. And so he'll bring whatever it is that God desires, whatever the best of his flock is, he'll bring. Hebrews chapter 11 expands on this just a little bit for us. Um, Hebrews 11.4 says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts and even though he is dead, he still speaks through faith. And that tells us that it was actually faith that led Abel to do this. That it was his faith in God, his faith in the goodness of who God was that led him to bring the best that he had. And it was Cain's lack of faith It caused him to hang on to his best for himself, to cling to it for himself and to just offer the extra, the leftover, whatever he didn't want to God. And then if you fast forward to verse 6 in that chapter, it says, Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the nature of faith, a life lived by faith, is one who draws near to God Because he believes he exists. He trusts that he exists, but he knows more than just the fact that he exists. He knows that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And this is what Abel does. Abel knows that. Abel trusts that. And he lives by that. And Cain doesn't. And this is the difference in their offering. This is the difference in their worship. And I want to pause here for a second because I think that this is something that's incredibly practical for us as followers of Jesus. That we live by faith. This is how we approach a life of faith, a life spent following Jesus. And there's, so there's three things that I pull from that. Um, and because, again, I'm a Southern Baptist preacher in some way, uh, there's three points and they all start with the same letter. That's just how we, we like to do things. And it's the letter A. So um, a life lived by faith does three things. It apprehends, it accepts, and it acts. And apprehends, it means it sees, it acknowledges, it knows. A life of faith knows that God exists. That's the first part of Hebrews 11, 6. Those who come to Him in faith must know that He exists. We have to look at the world. We have to look at life. And we can't be people that just forget. We have to find God, even in the little things, even in the hard things. We've got to recognize that He exists but then the next one is where it's key. We have to accept. We have to accept that He is good. Whatever it is that He desires, whatever it is that He calls for, whatever it is that He does is good, that it is what is best. And that's hard. I think for most of us in here today, none of us showed up here today claiming that God does not exist. Or we'd be somewhere else on a Sunday morning, probably probably our beds, Right? We know that he exists, but do we really trust that he's good? No, he desires his best because if we do, then we act accordingly. And then faith stops being some, some big idea and, and faith gets insanely practical and it becomes a way of life. It becomes a life spent following Jesus that does what Matthew 6.33 says. That says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you. God will pour out his goodness the way that he desires and the way that he sees fit. It's our job to trust that and to follow him with everything that we have. But Cain does not. Cain does not do that. And God does not look favorably on Cain. And so Cain is furious and and he's despondent and his his face falls and he looks down. And then we'll pick up in verse 6 of chapter 4. And says then the Lord said to Cain, "Why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it." And then Cain said to his brother Abel, "Let's go out to the field." And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. And we see a couple things here. We see the nature of sin, which I know you guys talked a little bit last week about the nature of sin and temptation and what that looks like. Um, Something a little bit different here. One of the things that changes from chapter three to chapter four is that uh, notice who's not mentioned in this chapter anymore. The serpent. Satan is radically absent and yet sin still happens. Because when you go from chapter 3 to chapter 4, we don't need Him to sin anymore. It's just, it's just a part of us. It's kind of embedded in who we are now as people is that our default mode, our natural response to the world is, is sin. It's to distrust God and to rely on ourselves. And make no mistake, Satan is real and you have a very real enemy and you don't need to take it lightly. Um, but... If you're anything like me, I I can do bad all by myself. He just makes it a little bit harder. That's the way that tends to work for me. And I think that's what we see here is that God is is coming to Cain and he tells him, he says, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over. And he tells them what sin desires to do. Sin wants to conquer you. It wants to take over. It wants to make faith the last. Thing that you think about it wants to conquer your life but it does not have to. Cain's fate is not bound. There's a way out. There's a way back that God has provided for him. All he has to do is listen. God comes and he's not trying to chastise him like a little child who's in trouble. He's trying to reason with him. It's all he's trying to do but Cain doesn't take it that way. Cain's offended by this, he's angry, he's furious, and he looks down, he says his face fell, and, and I don't know if you know that look, but I've got two little boys, and I know that look really well, right? You walk in the room, and one of them is doing what they're not supposed to do, and it's, it's this look, right right about here. I said, Luke, what are you doing, buddy? Um, nothing. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Um, I also know what nothing means. Um. We know that look. It's, it's the look of shame. And that's what Cain feels in this moment, as he feels shame. He knows that he's wrong. He knows why he's wrong. He doesn't need an explanation of it. I don't know how old he is at this point, but he's old enough to know. He's smart enough to figure that out. He knows that he's been wrong, and, and he feels shame for it. I don't think you're supposed to feel shame. I think you're supposed to feel guilt. And these are different things. Biblically speaking, these are very, very different things. It's the difference between conviction and condemnation, as the book of Romans puts it later. See, guilt says that you messed up, that you sinned, or it goes even beyond that and says that you just are a sinner. That's part of you. Shame moves beyond that and shame says because you've sinned, because you've messed up, because you've fallen short of the glory of God, God can't love you. God won't accept you. God is done with you. Those types of things. It's condemnation. But Scripture says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And and one of the things that I've noticed that is universal for for humans, Um, it doesn't care about age, doesn't care about race, It doesn't care whether you're a city slicker or you're born out in the boonies or anywhere in between. And it doesn't care what continent you've lived on because I've been in all of those different situations. People carry around shame. And it weighs on them and it weighs heavy on them and it eats at them. God never wants to say that you're not guilty. He just wants to take it for you. That's what he wants to do. Jesus looks at your life and he never ignores your sin. He can't. He's too good for that. But he also says that I'll take that for you. And I can and I want to. And God comes to Cain here and he tries to give him a way out. All he wants from Cain is repentance. And there's a way out. And Cain won't do it. Instead of allowing God to take his guilt, Cain embraces his shame. And he wallows in it. And he lets it stew. And it results in him killing his brother. And I wonder how this played out in his mind. I know he had to think about this, right? He he probably played that scene over and over in his mind. Replayed the memory of bringing that offering. Replayed the memory of, of God accepting his little brother's offering and not his own. He probably repeated the words from God in his head over and over and over. Why are you so mad? Why does your head hang down? What? Don't you know that if you just, if you just do what is right, you'll be accepted? If you just come back to me, if you just repent, I'll take all of that for you. That's all you got to do. But if you don't, and God gives him a warning, and God's warnings are always God's grace. As says, if, if you don't, it'll consume you. It'll, it'll take you over. And I bet he repeated those words in his mind over and over and over. But every time he did and he thought about obeying and he thought about trusting that God's words were best, he remembered what it felt like to be rejected. And he remembered what it felt like to watch his brother be accepted. And the embarrassment that comes with that, you know that feeling when your face just gets so red and and hot because you're embarrassed of, of what you've done. And he embraced that instead, and he gave in to that. And Cain chose to be dictated, let his life be dictated by what he felt rather than what he knew. Faith is hard. It's not easy. I put it in those three words, apprehend, accept, act. You can boil it down to AAA. Faith is going to save you just like those people that will pick you up on the side of the road if you have a flat tire, right? AAA will always be there for you. I say that and it trivializes it and it makes it so simple and so easy till life gets really hard and it's just not that easy. It's not easy to trust what you know over what you feel. But it's what we're called to do. That's the life of faith. God is always good, even when he doesn't feel like it. And if Cain would have trusted in that and come back to the Lord, this was all avoidable. But but he did not. He ignored God's correction. He ignored his warnings. And he said to his brother, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, he attacked his brother, Abel, And he killed him. And then in verse 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? And this is one of the most kind of chilling things in the Bible for me. He responds, he says, I don't know. He replied, Am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? And then he says, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground... It will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. We're going to stop right there, and that's not exactly the happiest note to end on, but I do want to draw this back to something um, that I do think is good and I do think um, should bring us some comfort and some joy. I don't think Cain woke up one day and decided that he was going to become a murderer. I'm not sure. Thankfully, praise the Lord, I've never been down that road. I don't really know what it's like. But I don't, I don't think anybody wakes up one day and is like, this is, sounds like a good career path. Let me, let me go for that. They, they happen into it. They trust their feelings over their God. They embrace the anger. They want to get even. Sooner or later, they end up doing something they they thought they'd never do, and they look at where they are, and they say, "How did I get? How did I get here?" And I think that's what happened to Cain. We wander into sin, but what God makes clear back in verse six and seven is that we may wander into sin, but we never wander out of it. We wander. Out, we we come out of it by continually trusting in the Lord continually being obedient to his warnings and his callings and his desire on our life. That's how you master sin and you find your way out of where you got yourself. We never wander out of it. But Cain, Cain fully embraced it. He gave into it. Um, but this was avoidable. Guys, this this was avoidable. And this is why I wanted to read the whole passage and not get straight to, straight to the the murder, the the big act of of Genesis chapter 4. I want you to see all of the times that God came to Cain, offered him a way out, offered him a way back. God does not quit on Cain. And in fact, if we were to follow the rest of the story, you'll see that God still offers Cain protection. Just like he clothed Adam and Eve after their sin, God chooses to cover Cain with protection after his. And that God is still not done with Cain. And if God is not done with Cain, somebody who hears the word of the Lord, hears the warning, looks God straight in the face and says, I'll do it my way. If he's not done with him, then he is never, ever done with you. God has never done with any of us. He doesn't desire for us to walk around with shame. Acknowledge your sin. Call it what it is, please. You are guilty and I am guilty. We all stand guilty before God, but we've been covered in the blood of Christ. And so we don't walk around with shame. We don't hang our head on those things. But we continue to trust. We continue to follow. We continue to, to believe that Jesus is really better than anything the world has to offer.